Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 85 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. The Superman Lover. And I'm joined here by my nefarious co-host, former market maker, 20 years and current day retail trader. The man with an illustrious career on the now legendary House Street. So like a chick with a nice butt, you could say his best work is behind him. <laughs> Dropping so many jewels, you could have swore he was careless. The gorilla of House Street, JJ. Brother, how you doing tonight? I'm good, man. Very good, man. And I'm pumped. Our guest world-class daily fantasy sports player and sports better co-founder of established the run a premium football and, and analysis site my own personal favorite podcaster and he's certainly the best in the fantasy sports embedding genre you know him as the owner to the most beautiful beast in the world you may know him as the idol of virgins all across the globe <laughs> Mr. Skin the Fur, GPP bro, Adam Levitan. Adam, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for that intro, man. Appreciate it. And yeah, glad to be here. Awesome, Adam. Uh, you know, you know, I'm thinking like as I'm like saying the intro, I um I might have indicted myself. I'm saying you're my favorite podcaster. Uh, and then also saying you're the idol to virgins all across <laughs> the globe. JJ, I might need you to uh, vouch for me here, man, that I actually talk to women. Oh, he does. Indeed, he does. And and gets into a lot of trouble, I might add. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe I might be more like 0.5% of listeners. That's not, but no, <laughs> it, no, it, it's awesome, Adam. You know, I, I think I've been like a regular listener uh, around like 2018 or so. Cool. I, I know you've been podcasting for a while, man. Like how, how far back does the date for you? Yeah, well, I guess the the first like kind of uh, big serious podcast we did, I, I was uh, hired as like an independent contractor basis to do a podcast for DraftKings in 2015 when they were um, really going after FanDuel and trying to get to the top of the of the DFS space. And so uh, me and Peter Jennings and, and Al Zeidenfeld had a, had a podcast um, where we talked about DFS uh, and I did the solo where um, I talked about, kind of first started just talking mostly about sports and DFS and stuff. And then I realized that was kind of boring. And, and so I started talking about life and and trying to be funny and stuff like that. And so that kind of took on a, a life of its own there. So yeah, since 2015, I would say I've been, I've been doing the podcast thing pretty seriously. And, and, and honestly, it's probably my, my favorite thing to do. You know, I, I write a lot and, and I obviously manage the business and I play a lot, but, but, uh, but doing the podcast is probably my, my favorite thing to do. So yeah, it's good. Yeah, man. It, no, it, it's a great listen to it. it not just for, you know, becoming sharper but but the, but the humor too and it's just a great blend it's, it's like a like a lifestyle type of podcast which you know even take it back to joe ingram i used to love his as well mm -hmm. and so uh just a reminder to the listeners you guys would like to join and support collaborative group of traders you can join jj and myself at micro efutures.com uh before we dive into your background for a second adam um you you fired off a 20k uh 25k buy-in at the wsop yeah. last week uh, it didn't go well, but you know, thus is the nature um, of poker tournaments. You don't play much poker anymore. What would possess you to drop 25k yeah. on a tournament uh, other than uh, hashtag how rich? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I don't get it in bad, like knowingly ever. I mean, I get it in bad all the time. And I'm going to talk about this on the solo pod. Actually, I get it in bad all the time, but not not knowingly, right? But I was knowingly mm -hmm. getting it in bad here because I, I don't, you know, play that much poker anymore. I don't study that much poker anymore and the guys that are in the 25k i mean you know they're spending most of their time studying 
um, solver outputs and kind of these range spots where you get 50 big blinds and under and 75 big blinds and under, you know, it's very clear what the right answer is now. Um, Very, very clear what the right answer is. And, and I I just, you know, was way far behind. So I got it in bad, but you know, I had played the main event uh, a bunch of times. I've played a ton of, you know, uh, smaller tournaments and, and uh, I really enjoy playing live poker a lot. And I think that like my style, which was more of a, 2006 to 2010 style when I was really playing a lot of poker um I thought maybe that would give them some problems so I thought I was maybe you know only getting it in you know at 0.9 or 0.85 or something like that you know not not that big of a dog yeah um and and honestly after playing like I don't really think I was that much worse than than 0.9 or 0.85 and and yeah I mean I've been fortunate to to have a lot of success and and, and so um spending 25k to get it in a little bit bad for for a cool experience and not that big of a dog to, to make a deep run and, and have some fun along the way. I, I thought it was worth it. And, you know, in, in hindsight, the structure wasn't great for me. We were playing short pretty much the whole time. And, and like I said, those, those ranges are pretty well known by all the best players, what you should be doing. And I'm so glad I played though, you know, so it, it was a good experience for sure. Yeah. 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 Especially like the, the, the smaller, the, the stat, you know, the stacks are, it's, it's a much more clear cut, um, how much prep did you do any prep going into this? You study any of the run any Sims beforehand or <laughs> no, I, I, I decided I was going to do this like two weeks before the tournament. And I yeah. figured like trying to uh, study the Sims and the solver outputs in, in a two week span was just going to mess me up. So I went in there and just said, I was going to play from the streets the, uh, the 2006 style where, you know, <laughs> if they checked to me, I'm betting, if they three bet, I'm four betting, if they four bet, I'm five betting, you know? So, uh, you know, just try to play as aggressively as possible. Like, like we used to do. Uh, back in the day and and these days you know nobody plays like that anymore i mean everybody is is checking back and and playing so much calmer than than we used to it's honestly not as fun yeah yeah well it's all about equilibrium now and not and not being exploited i like that take it back to the streets take it back to (laughs) hell yeah so so for uh so for those um unfamiliar with you um adam he gets to give us a, a brief rundown on how you got started in the fantasy football industry yeah, I, I always thought I was going to be a newspaper reporter, you know, a, a beat reporter. I, I grew up in, in the D.C. area and, and I used to read the Washington Post sports section every day. I thought I was going to be, you know, Tony Kornheiser, or Mike Wilbon before they became like TV people. They were just they covered sports. I mean, they wrote articles about sports and then they had column about sports. And, and back in that time, you know, there was um, I don't have a cell phone. There was no cell phone, not even close. You know, I, I grew up in the 90s. And so um yeah, I always thought I was going to do that. And I went to school for, for journalism. Uh, I was lucky enough to win ESPN's overall championship. Like everybody who played ESPN fantasy football in the year 2000, I got first place. And so that gave me like a little bit of credibility to start writing some fantasy stuff. Was was fortunate enough to, to start writing some fantasy articles for a small free newspaper called uh, The Metro. And, and then from there, I applied for a job with Roto World, which back in the 2005, 2006, 2007 time was the biggest uh, fantasy football website. Um, and so uh, I, after back and forth in six months, I got like a part-time job at Roto World and things just kind of snowballed from there. And um, that's how I kind of got into it. And, and, you know, everything changed when DFS happened. We can talk about that if, if you want, but um, yeah, that's kind of how it got started. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, yeah, that's exactly what I want to talk about. Like, so, so you're, you're doing that, you're working at uh, Roto World and then DFS pops up. I, I believe you were playing poker as well, right? Like, yeah. so was it, was this like a moment where it was kind of like, you knew right away, like, this is something I want to be on? 
So, uh, yeah, I mean, the reason I moved to Philadelphia was so I could be close to Atlantic City. And this was in 2004. I mean, at the time, the only place to play poker really for like any real stakes was like maybe Foxwoods, Borgata and Vegas. Like that was it. There was no like parks in Philly. Not, there wasn't a casino every two feet with its own card room. I mean, everybody was at Borgata at that time. And the games were obviously um, incredible. And so, yeah, I was I was living at uh, Borgata, uh, you know, three, sometimes four nights a week uh for i don't know 2004 to 2007 uh or or so and then i would also kind of try to keep my foot in the door with with the real job and and the writing uh and stuff like that because you know roto world they were awesome you know they were also paying me you know eight dollars an hour nine dollars an hour stuff like that to do to do news blurbs and and that was okay with me because i you know i had poker once the game started to get tougher um and my win rate started to go down um especially at, at higher stakes it was you know, I, I need to figure something else out. And so I actually almost just gave up everything, you know, gave up fantasy and poker. And I took the GMAT to, to um, uh, maybe go get uh, an MBA in, in something and maybe bet on stocks instead of, uh, you know, playing poker or, or fantasy or whatever. But, but then, um, you know, as it kind of got closer to 2012, 2013, I started hearing about this DFS stuff. And like, I mean, if you looked at it, I, the lobby looked just like a poker lobby, you know, you could play, heads up, you can play against 10 people, you can play against 1000 people, you can play for a dollar, you can play for 10k, you can play for whatever you want. And, and it just, it was just like poker. And I was like, Oh, man, this is this is it. I couldn't believe it was legal. But but I, I immediately knew that like, if it was legal, like, this was it, and there was gonna be real money in fantasy, then and I didn't have to kind of uh, give up my soul or, or whatever to, uh, to, to kind of stick in the in the gambling world. So, so yeah, I mean, once DFS happened, I knew that like, that was gonna be a kind of a life changer. Yeah, yeah. No, I wish I was as sharp as you at that time, because I was still like just stuck in poker and I was just kind of just doing that for fun. Um, yeah, because the, the landscape changed uh, real quickly. Um, you know, Adam, I wanted to ask you, because like one, one of the first things that stood out to me when I started listening um, to your podcast, um, especially like when you were covering, you know, the games or blurbs on what a what a beat writer was saying or a coach was saying, you, you were so good. And at first I was kind of like not putting too much weight into what you're saying, but you're very good at deciphering the news and like knowing what's true, what's not. And I think there is uh, like correlation um, with, you know, trading, right. A company might come out and say something. And a lot of times it's BS. It might be real. Um, Just, I want to just ask you like how you developed that skill. And and I assume a lot of that came just from uh, Roto world, right? Yeah. And also uh, I got to cover uh, actual teams. You know, I, I, had my journalism degree and I had actually covered the Sixers and the Phillies uh, for like brief. And I use the word, I wasn't very good at it, but you know, you would go to these press conferences and there'd be, you know, 20 guys around um, who are asking the coach questions. And, you know, the coach doesn't really want to be there. The coach is just saying what won't make a headline. He doesn't want to make a big splash. So if you ask the coach, like, Hey, you know, uh, how's uh, Jody Meeks progress something like, what do you think he's going to say? He's not going to say, Oh man, Jody Meeks sucks. We're not going to put him on the floor. Well, of course, he's not going to say that. he's going to say Jody's making great progress and we're so happy with Jody. You know what I mean? And, and so he didn't actually believe that, but it, he said it. I mean, it was clear to anybody that that Jody wasn't really like a, a, a full time NBA starter. So, um, you know, coaches are going to are going to be led in the direction. They're going to say positive things. And they're going to try not to make a headline. And so uh, if you think about some of these headlines that come out now on Twitter or or on on newspapers, you can just go back and, and listen to it and see that the coach was led down a direction or he didn't want to say anything bad. And a lot of times it's just, it's just straight BS. Um, I, I'm so much more interested in 
actually seeing with actions. You know, you can say that Jody Meeks is good, but if the Sixers go give 60 million to a shooting guard, well, obviously they think Jody Meeks is not their starter, right? So like actions are going to be way more important than, than the words that these guys say. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, you know, JJ, it's like, I think about it like with some of these CEOs, right? Like mm-hmm. what, what do they expect? What do you expect them to say about their companies? Right. <laughs> like oh yeah we're in financial trouble blah 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 no like oh no. hey like we're we're raising money because x y and z it's like uh, you know, okay we're uh, always exploring strategic alternatives <laughs> right. <laughs> right right um you know and and, and uh you know the kind of like a follow-up question to this um you know similar with the trading like like in, this where this could be a concept that is tricky right like um knowing when to deviate from like, let's say maybe like what might be optimal based on new data, right? Like we always, or not new data, but we like, we want to be data driven um, analysis, but you know, I, I think the key is like knowing when to deviate from the data. I know it's going to be very nuanced, but do you have any like general um, advice for the listeners? Yeah. I, I think, you know, when DFS first started, if you had a reasonably good projection system, I mean, that was enough to print off. I mean, 20, 30, 40% ROI. I mean, that was just, that was enough, you know, because you weren't being biased like everyone else. I mean, everyone else was making lineups. They look at the game log. They're like, oh, this guy sucked for the last two weeks. I'm not going to play him this week. Well, obviously, like if you're using any type of model that regresses further back than two weeks, you're going to uh, understand better what a guy's outlook is. And maybe there were some other contributing factors. And in those last two games, why he played poorly. Um, now, I think that everybody, especially for NFL and NBA, like I think we have the best projections by a pretty wide margin. Um, that's like table stakes now to have really, really good projections that you're working off of. I think the key now is to kind of figure out beyond that. And people are using distributions and simulations and ceiling outcomes and, and all kinds of more advanced stuff beyond just the baseline projection and correlation is obviously like something that's really huge, especially in football. And so um, people are going beyond baseline projections now to kind of raise the level of play. And just as, you know, as any market matures, it's going to get tougher and tougher. You know, we've seen it with, with everything. Uh, every market is going to get more mature and, and tougher over time. And, and it's no different in DFS. I think there's still a lot of money to be won uh, in DFS, but of course, like you always have to be getting better. And, and that, that's not like a knock, you know, that's like anything you want to do in life, especially if you're playing for a lot of money, uh, uh, figuring out the next thing is going to be what you have to do. Figuring out the next thing. Yeah. And it, and it seems, especially with football, I mean, football is so popular. Every, everyone thinks, and I know you talk to this too, like every guy at the bar thinks he knows like the best teams. <laughs> and and it, you know, it seems like, um, they're still, it, it doesn't seem like it's like poker where it's like, uh, it's going to shrink to almost, you know, nothing. There still seems like there's a good future. I mean, especially with sports betting um, here yeah. as well. Man, I got to say, I'm feeling like a poker uh, uh, renaissance, like a, a, another boom. Like I think the sure. Monsters poker is going to break records this year. There were so, they got like 1500 people for a, for a 08 event while I was there. And, and they were expecting around hundred people for the 25 K they got like 250 people for the 25 K. I, I think people are either still too rich or, like a lot of the crypto bros, um, they made a lot of money, but mm-hmm. not enough to retire. And now they're back to poker. And so they still have enough money, you know, to play the 25K, but they don't have enough money to like never play poker again. So yeah, I, I think poker is actually having like a, a bounce back uh, for sure. In terms of fantasy, yeah, like, of course, like season long fantasy football is going to be popular, like till the end of time, because it's so social. You play with your friends, mm-hmm. you play with your people from work. I think 
DFS um, is under some threat uh, from sports betting, you know, for people who are at the bar who are, you know, don't want to put the work in to be good at DFS, they can take a 50, 50 shot on a side, you know, like if you bet on Sunday, you know, giants minus three, there's a good chance you're just getting it in 50, 50 minus the rake, you know, because the lines are so efficient by the time Sunday comes. And and so they're flipping and, and they're going to, you know, lose their 10% over the long run. And and maybe that's a better outcome for them if they don't want to put the work in for DFS. Um, I think there's a really good community of DFS people that will sustain it for a really, really long time. And it's, it's just, it's just so fun. And, and the prizes are so big. And, you know, anytime you give people a chance to turn a little bit of money into a lot, which is what a lot of these DFS tournaments are, you know, turn 20 into a million. Uh, people understand how unlikely it is, but they still want to take a shot on it. And, you know, football is just like you said, football is something that everybody thinks they're really know really well and are really good at. So yeah, I'm actually pretty optimistic, uh, actually long term about both poker and DFS. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, you know, it's funny. I was talking to uh, we had Brett Brett Ritchie on um, mm-hmm. last week. He was playing. He was playing the WSOP, and uh, yeah, he was saying that too. How uh, the resurgence? We were talking about this, like the resurgence, uh, especially of, like live poker um, mm-hmm. in these tournaments. I think it's just kind of like the, the like the I don't want to say the society we're in, but like you look at like the the Wall Street bets and GME uh, GameStop bit. Like people are gambling it up on options. People are gambling up in the crypto market. Sports betting's legal. Uh, I think gaming is just uh, on the rise here. Um, and I, I've noticed even like a lot of younger kids are getting into poker, right. playing poker. So maybe it's like, you know, something, you know, more encouraged in society. Oh, I, I think it's generational, you know, like I would never, I've never played blackjack in my life. I've never played roulette. Like it makes me sick to like actually walk by these people that are just constantly, every time they put money out, they're just losing money regardless of the outcome, you know, I actually feel like ill for them. But I think a lot of people in, in my generation feel that way. And um, these peer to peer games where we can work harder, be smarter, hopefully, and, and win is like what appeals to our generation and younger generation, you know, like, I can't fathom anyone in my generation pulling a slot machine, I just I just can't see it, you know, so so yeah, I, I think that those peer-to-peer games are, are a generational thing. Like that's what our generation wants. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And I think the data backs that up um, as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and so, so for the listeners who, who aren't familiar with DFS and, and you know, JJ uh, here mm-hmm. as well, uh, player ownership um, is a huge deal um, when we're playing like GPPs, the tor- their tournaments. Um, I guess to like sum it up, like you, you want to have a lone owned player relative to the field who's going to have a uh, chance of having a good performance. Now it's more nuanced, but I guess that's kind of like the gist of it. Um, you know, Adam, I think this is related to trading um, in a sense as well. Uh, you know, several new, uh, several traders we've talked to have talked about the importance of being contrarian, um, but not just being contrarian for the sake of being contrarian. Um, I know there's a lot of nuance here, but how do you approach being contrarian um, in DFS? I mean, it's, it's the hardest thing in, in anything to do, right. Is, is to both be contrarian and be right. You know, like yeah. 99 people think one thing and you're the one who doesn't, and you're right. Like, man, that's, that's really hard to do, but think about what do you win when you win? So if I play Tom Brady and I'm in a hundred person tournament and 70 other people have Tom Brady, what do I win when Tom Brady has 400 yards and four touchdowns? I win nothing. Like literally, like I, I it's so hard for me to win money because I'm competing against all these other teams that also had Tom Brady, but let's say Tom Brady fails and I'm the only one with, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers in the whole tournament and Aaron Rodgers beats Tom Brady by 20 points. All of a sudden I've iced a majority of the field and now I'm hardly competing with anyone 
to get first place. And so, yeah, in these tournaments, they're so, so, so top heavy. Um, Having low owned players is almost a necessity. And um, yeah, it's just for casual people, it's just a hard thing for them to wrap their head around. I think people like to lose together. Like, you know, oh, everybody played Tom Brady. So I'm not, I'm not the village idiot. Right. And I'm sure it's the same way in trading. Like, oh, everybody was buying, you know, Coinbase at $250 or whatever, you know, I, I'm me, I'm going to lose with all my friends and we're going to, we're going to make excuses and everything. And it's harder to be out there uh, on an Island for sure. But, you know, I would just encourage people to think about what do you win when you, when you win. Yeah. And, and it's great advice. And, you know, I try talking to people like um, in our trading room and it's, I guess it is hard sometimes when people, um, you know, because it do come from playing poker. Um, I play DFS, just football, but um, it's like, like same thing in a trade. It's like, it's okay. Like if you lose a little bit, lose it, like took a small loss, took a small loss, took a small loss. But when you're right, mm-hmm. you're winning five, 10, 15 X, whatever it is. I mean, it doesn't matter how many times you lose, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's, it's all about the ROI there. And I, I got a question, Adam, from one, uh, from one of my boys, uh, DFS grinder, I need money. Um, <laughs> He, he he wanted to ask you about ownership projection uh, ownership projections versus actual ownership. Yeah. Um. Sometimes differing a lot or a little bit. Like what what are the factors that are going to contribute to that? Oh man, I mean, we put so much work into getting ownership projections uh, right because it's so important, and we track our R squared versus versus actuals, our projected ownership versus versus actuals, and I, I think we've gotten really really good at it. And, and you know, a lot of it is um, understanding who is influencing. The market and obviously like mm-hmm. our actual projections influence the market a lot but there's other people out there that influence too and so we're basically um trying to gauge how much other people are influencing the market and using what they have to figure out what ownership is going to be um hope that makes sense but yeah i mean yeah. you know a lot of this is just just market sentiment and as people it's easier to do good ownership projections as more and more people are using projections to make their lineups right when people are just like taking a dump and, and clicking buttons, they, it's hard to project what they're going to do. But when people are building through projections, it's much, much, much easier to project what they're going to do. And so, yeah, I, I think that um, ownership projections are getting, getting really, really good for, for all sports. And it's just so important for sure. So it gets a little bit meta a little bit, like uh, yeah. that's interesting. That's, that's got to make it a little bit difficult. I would think. Um, oh Yeah. I mean, especially for sports that like we dominate, like preseason football and um, USFL and when XFL was around, I mean, you know, our, it was tough to play the guys that we projected well, because that's what everybody was doing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, you know, it it, it definitely creates a a meta, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's interesting. I, I, that's why I think it's so fast. I, I, the game theory, just like even beyond beyond just the projections, but the, the, the game theory in, uh daily uh, daily fantasy i think is so intriguing um and it changes week to week um but yeah that that's another topic that's awesome um uh yo and, and on the, just the projections front i you know i didn't realize how much i was torturing money adam until i did sign up with you guys to get the the projection like it's a game changer it's total you're torturing money i think if you're not you're not looking at projection totals right i imagine so um i think that like i said i think if you're building straight off projections now, that's table stakes. It's not enough. But if you don't know what the projections for these baselines for these guys are, like you're just dead. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, it, done. yeah. You need you need to have really good projections in order to do all the stuff off of that. And so you know, it, it's 
And also, like, if you're not doing projection-based stuff, like, when I won or I got second in the FanDuel thing last year, like, it would never cross my mind to play Rex Burkhead uh, if we weren't doing yeah. projections. But Rex Burkhead was projecting really well for us due to matchup, due to share of uh, his team's carries, due to implied team total, and, and all these stuff that goes into our model. I mean, again, if I was sitting on the toilet, there's no way I would ever click Rex Burkhead, but you can see it when you do projections. And so, and also, you know, you can see we had a, a really good value projection on Rex Burkhead and we had projected ownership at like 4%. And anytime there's that, like I'm really interested in tournaments. And, and so, yeah, yeah I, I think it's just incredibly important to be looking at, at some form of projections. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it, it's, it's great. Like, like the, the past few years when I've subscribed to your guys stuff, you start getting like a feel, like the more and more data you look over, you get like a better feel for things um, as well. Um, but always coming from a data, data centric focus. Uh, speaking of your GPP win, uh, go, going deep and, and having a shot is an exhilarating feeling. Now, I, I, I've had some deep runs out of, but not even close to yours. I don't play the same stakes um, as you do. Uh, very reminiscent of like a poker tournament, that, that feeling when you're going deep. Uh, the difference with poker, you at least have some control, right? Like we, we're, we're, not, we're not controlling the players. Um, how was the sweat watching the game when, when you're, you know, you're, you're deep, deep in a tournament? Oh, yeah. like that? See, I don't think it's like poker at all. I mean, once, once one o'clock hits uh, on Sunday, uh, pretty much the decisions are done, you know, and, and it's just, it just let it play out. And a lot of people don't even watch the games. They'll just like check in, you know, after everything's over and see how they did. Obviously the poker going deep into poker term is so much more exhilarating. And it's so much more of a uh, adrenaline rush because you're in there, you're making decisions, mm-hmm. uh, you're battling, you know, you, you, you get it in and you're never in, you know, you never have anyone drawing dead. So you have to sweat it or, or whatever. Um, it's so different in DFS. You're just sitting there uh, watching football and, and hoping that, uh, the right things happen for your team. Um, yeah, I had, uh, uh, you know, I, I knew the team that I, I had was doing really, really, really well. Uh, I knew that I needed one more catch from Jamar Chase on the last drive to uh, get another 750K. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that was stressful because Joe Burrow dropped back a couple of times and looked at Jamar Chase and Jamar Chase was covered and he went somewhere else, which was, uh, you know, tough to, to swallow. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I've been kind of gambling for so long that, uh, you know, that stuff doesn't, uh, phase me too, too much. I wasn't like kicking my dog and, and, you know, <laughs> melting down. It just kind of, just kind of is what it is. And, and it kind of feels better than poker. Like it's really much harder to second guess yourself in, DFS than it is in poker, you know, in poker, I, I constantly like second guess if what I did was, was right. Uh, in DFS, you can second guess yourself, but at least it's not like in the moment. I, you know, it's not like the equities aren't the same, you know, like the equity of, of me playing Tyler Boyd over Jamar Chase would have been uh, 750k, but like, I never would have done that before, before the slate started anyway. So, you know, it just kind of is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I- you know, I asked the question because I was in, uh, it must have been last year, um, and it was one of those fucking London London games. I'm playing a showdown on a London game, and I'm like, I'm like, you know, there's like seconds on the clock, and like Garter Minshew, Garter Minshew's playing. I forget who he's, whatever team he's on. He wasn't even starting that year. Um, maybe it was Jacksonville before he went to, to the Eagles. And uh, Minshew's like, you know, he's driving down. The game's already over, and I'm, I'm fluctuating between first and fifth. And like, there, it's like a play at the end where I'm, I'm now I'm in first, and they, instead of ruling it incomplete, it's the last play of the game. They ruled it a fumble. Uh, and then everyone with the defenses moved up. I finished mm-hmm. in fucking 15th. And so, you know, the money wasn't crazy. It was like 5K, but then I go from 5K yeah. to fucking 100. 
or something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yo, fucking tilt, <laughs> fucking tilt. But, but I yeah, imagine- I mean, that's the way that that's the way DFS goes. I mean, the, yeah, the, yeah. Those, especially in showdown. I mean, you know, it's just it, it, half a point. A point is everything. It's all. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, Adam, the popularity of best ball um, through the roof right now um you know i get it i mean it's a lot of fun uh, having to sweat mm-hmm. through the season the drafting i enjoy the drafting of it um with best ball being relatively new not too much data to really i guess analyze uh, i saw what jack jack miller posted that that was phenomenal by the way um how, how big how big of an edge do you think there is in best ball the edge is big uh much like Anything large field, realizing your edge is, is always going to be hard, you know? And so the, the tournaments now on Underdog and DraftKings, you know, are 400,000 people like the flagships, you know, you, you can have a really big edge there and, and never realize it. That doesn't mean that uh, you shouldn't play because, yeah, obviously the edge is really big. I mean, there's people getting it in really, really bad in, in best ball right now, not understanding the correlation needed to win uh, some of these tournaments. Uh, people that are just, you know, drafting off the seat of their pants and, and so, yeah, uh, best ball, this is pretty much like, I think the third year that best ball has been pretty popular. This is the, the biggest one by far. And yeah, um, tying up money for this long is yeah. hard, especially if you think you can make money on your money. But yeah, I don't think that 15, 20, 30% ROI or EV expectation on, on each dollar you put into to best ball right now is an, is an unrealistic expectation if, if you're good and, and you know, you're doing nice, nice. Um, and what, what, what do you think about, um, you know, cause I've been thinking a lot of this myself, um, you know, like when I was playing poker, I'm mainly like a cash game guy. Um, so that's kind of like more of my mindset. And I've been thinking with these, these, um, you know, I definitely want to play some of these tournaments, these best ball tournaments, but is it, is it best for me? Like to put some, like maybe in more like the sit and goes like to have an allocation to sit and goes, um, or is it more or less kind of like, um, you know, move on, like, cause you got to play, you got to win your 12 man league to move on. Or right. is it essentially similar? I, I haven't really done much work on this. I, I want to get your opinion on that. Yeah. My concern with the, the singles is that's not where like the soft players the or the weak players are, you know, yeah. and they, they all want to turn a little money into a lot. And so they're all playing the tournaments. I haven't looked at the lobbies for, um, just the regular four mans or 10 mans. I, I would guess that they're much, much tougher than the tournaments, but yeah, I, I don't think they're unbeatable by any sense. And, and if you're trying hard and you're, and you're good, I, I think that you could certainly achieve uh, the similar, you know, 10, 20, 25% ROI in, in some of those. It's just, again, like, are you willing to tie up money for the next nine months? You know, it's, it's kind of a, a tall ask if, I mean, you guys are obviously familiar with markets and stuff. I, I assume you guys think, you know, you can, you can, you know, get six, eight, 10%, hopefully on, on markets. And, and so uh, trading, uh, you know, and that's compounding, you know, this isn't even mm-hmm. compounding at all. Yeah. 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 No, exactly. Um, but best ball is fun. I, I want to, you know, at least get in there for, for, for the fun. Um, oh, of so a- fun. Dra- I mean, drafting is the best part of fantasy. That's why people love it. I mean, trading and waivers and setting your lineup, all that stuff's annoying. I mean, drafting is, is, the best part of fantasy by far and that's why it's so popular i mean drafting is the best yeah yeah it's awesome I, i've been noticing too like i i don't do those like slow drafts anymore because like the fast drafts i mean these people will be freaking out sometimes right. like the 30 second timers you you'll see like you know i'm used to like multi-tabling poker like you know what i'm mm-hmm. saying i can make a quick decision like some of these people are out there just freaking out oh, yeah. so it's yeah it's, it's it's nice um when i first heard about the idea of stacking week 17 Adam, I was, I was a bit resistant to the idea, you know, just so many studies on on how bad humans are at predictions. Mm -hmm. 
um, you know, just from like, you know, you know, psychology, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but when I saw the stuff you guys put out with Jack, like the data, I mean, it was pretty, pretty compelling um, argument. What, what do you, what are kind of like your thoughts uh, around this? Yeah. So you're trying to reduce the number of things you have need to get right. So let's yeah. say your big take this year is that, uh, you know, uh, Daniel Jones is going to be a, a top five quarterback this year. Well, you can reduce the number of ways to get that right. You don't just take Daniel Jones. If Daniel Jones has a huge year, it's likely that also Saquon Barkley, uh, Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Tony, Sterling Shepard, you know, so these guys are also going to have big years. So by correlating your players together, you reduce the number of things you get right. So Giants have a big offensive year. You're automatically like way ahead of the field and you don't try to hit, you know, an 18 player parlay, you know, where you have to pick off, you know, the best play yeah. at each spot. It's like, oh, Daniel Jones has a huge year. So are all the rest of the Giants. So I, I would recommend that people draft in best ball as if they're right. Like if you draft a guy, assume that he's going to hit the top range of his outcome because that's what you need to win anyways. Otherwise, you're just dead. And so if you assume that your quarterback has a huge year or if your wide receiver has a huge year, you know, if you think Devontae Adams is going to go for 1,800 yards and 20 touchdowns, well, you better get Derek Carr on your team too because he's going to have to perform expectation uh also in terms of the week 17 stuff i mean we're talking about a 470 person final on underdog in order to uh beat 470 people you're gonna have to be correlated almost certainly like it's gonna be really hard to just have the exact right combo of players what you can do is say hey when it gets to week 17 uh russell wilson is gonna have uh, a huge game and that's gonna force the opponents to be really pass heavy and so if you have a bunch of receivers in that game that the broncos playing in week 17 well all of a sudden you've only gotten one thing right. Russ has a huge game, but you bring along all the players involved also. And so the bigger the field gets, the more I think correlation and game stacking makes sense. And yeah, this 470 person final on underdog. I mean, it's a big field, man. It's going to be, it's going to be, even if you get there, which is really, really hard to get there, but that's where all the money is like getting 480th place, even getting 300 place, getting 200 places, like no money. I mean, all the money is in the top three, top five. And so you should be optimizing your lineups for those spots. Yeah, right, right. And, and you could you could do it too, where you're not like reaching, right? Like it's not, uh, you're not going too far out of like the value range. And, and I think I, I was listening to Le, uh, Leone, like his last podcast, and I like what the guest was saying is, um, he's almost using it as like his randomizer, like he might be at a spot where um, it, it might be close between two players, he might go with a guy in week 16, or week 17, who he has matched up with yeah. Jerry Judy or something. And I thought that made a lot of sense, too. And also the help from an exposure standpoint. Um, so I love about it. A lot of, a lot of game theory um, oh, yeah. in this, a lot of fun. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, think about how hard it is to have a, be on a 30 second clock and also yeah. trying to think about your mini stacks in week 17 and also your correlation. <laughs> I mean, it, it's definitely a lot to think about uh, when you're doing these drafts. It's definitely deep. Yeah. Well, I love, I love it. Like I got like the week 17 schedule up. I got your guys projections right there. You know, it's, it's great. Uh, I definitely, how, how do you, how do you balance with the projections? Cause there's definitely like um, you guys are definitely higher um on certain players right mm-hmm. uh significant on the adp you know i find myself always get into some guys where it's like they're always falling to me mm-hmm. um any tips on maybe bouncing it a little bit or like or do, are you kind of one like that's like all right now i'm gonna go i'm just going all in with him no i, I think you don't want to be overconfident in individual player takes yeah. so just because we have a guy ranked five spots higher than someone else or 10 spots higher than someone else i mean you know that doesn't mean that 100 percent of the time the guy higher is going to outscore the other guy and so I think that um, not getting too concentrated makes sense. That said, 
it's so early, you know, I mean, it's June yeah. by the time August comes, I think that our, the fields will be more in tune with where we're at most likely. And so this is like your chance to stack up guys that were ahead of market on. And then when August comes, you might not get any of that guy because his ADP has gone up so much, you know? And so, yeah, I think it cuts both ways. Um, but yeah, guys were higher on the market. I certainly want to start allocating a bunch of now. And then as their ADP rise, and hopefully you're just getting closing line value, you know, like we had Aaron Jones as a top 15 guy. He was going in the thirties by the time August comes. I mean, Aaron Jones is going to be going in the top 18 or so for sure. And at that point, maybe I'm like, okay, you know, I'm not going to take any more Aaron Jones. I already have a ton of him at the, you know, late second round or whatever. Yeah. I already, I already feel like he's getting steamed up already. Yeah, sure. And I saw him last night. I, I swear I, I, he got picked uh four yesterday in the draft. Yeah. I did. <laughs> that's a little crazy. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that, that's nuts. That's <laughs> nuts. Um, uh, a little bit about sports betting here, Adam, are, are the books losing some of the edge that they once had? So it depends what market you're talking about. You know, I, I think there's a lot of people out there that'll tell you they're beating NFL sides and totals and NBA sides and totals. Uh, I would say most of them are just liars. I mean, you know, the market is incredibly efficient and obviously you are laying uh, minus 110 uh, on all these bets. And so it, it's really, really hard to beat those markets. Obviously, you know, winning at props is not rocket science. I mean, you know, we're winning at an incredible rate at props. It's just, it's hard to get money down, man. And, and so um, the way the books compensate for that is, is just limit people's accounts, you know, pull markets off uh, when certain people bet them. And, and so that's the way they're compensating for it. Um, I think, you know, DraftKings, I think Jason Robbins came out during the uh, investor call or, or whatever they call it. And, you know, he said, we want to raise our hold percentage and, you know, that's hard to do. Basically, I mean, what he's insinuating is that they're just not going to let anybody sharp bet because the margins in sports betting are not that high. You know, like mm-hmm. even a stone cold donkey, if he's betting on Sundays is like I said, it's going to be like a coin flip. Um, and so, yeah, you're going to collect the juice in the long term, And that's great. But you're also going to have some sharp people in there that are maybe only losing 1% or 2%. And then you'll have some people that are winning, you know, 2 or 3%. I mean, the best sports bettors in the world are only winning, you know, at 2 or 3%, but they're all in incredible amounts of volume if they make it impossible to get that volume, well then sharp people aren't going to play at the book anymore. And so I think that's what Jay Robbins was trying to say, you know, stop sharp people from coming in and just, you know, collect the, the 10% from a bunch of smaller bettors. You're not going to have as much volume that way because you're cutting out everybody who wants to bet four or five, six figures on games. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's a complicated business model for sure. And I think wall street's like figuring that out. I mean, you know, trafficking stock, I, you guys know better than me. I think it went from like 75 or whatever to, to 14 and not that, mm. not that long of a period. And I think <laughs> the way that it's solved for them is not through sports betting. It's through turning sports bettors into iCasino players. In other words, right. you get guys on there and then they start blasting off on roulette and blackjack. And that's where you turn into a business that's worth 20, 30 billion. Uh, just sports, I think is, is not enough for, DraftKings. I mean, I'm no stock guy. I have no idea, but it, it's just, it's not enough. I think for DraftKings to be worth more than, I don't know, five, six, seven billion or something like that. Yeah. 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 No, there's a lot of those deals too. I mean, a lot of those deals have a lot of dilution, right? You know, the, the company insiders give themselves a lot of free stock and dilute the float. That's why, you know, um, you know, that's why they just crater. Yeah. Oh, you mean when, when the insiders sell, you mean? Well, when the insiders sell, there's also something that 
people for some reason have no clue about it and it boggles my mind something called an s8 which is a uh employee benefit um share um and uh these these companies just uh have been abusing it over and over and over again we're talking like hundreds of millions of shares that come out at zero cost or near zero cost so you know if you if somebody gives you 100,000 shares of stock and it's 14 dollars you sell it you don't care if it's 14 or 10 or 5 uh you know you sell it at whatever uh you can get for it and um you know that that's very dilutive to uh, to the other shareholders. It's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's very common in us capital markets. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I, I like not like a very tiny amount, but when my deal with DraftKings, they, um, I got some like stock options. This was in 2015. And then mm-hmm. when they went public, uh, whatever it was last year, I just like never, I was like, wow, well, you know, I'm not going to sell. Like I didn't, I didn't know anything about markets. I was like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not going to sell. So I was like the only idiot, like holding the bag as like, yeah. it, it, it just like cratered. I, I just, like you said, like I should have just been like, oh, I got this free stock. I should I should just sell it. I shouldn't have been greedy, but I was like, oh, maybe maybe it'll go up. You know, I I just yeah. had no idea, and I just wrote it right into the ground. And it's it's what they it's what these guys do. I mean, you look at some of these companies; they'll, you know, like uh, all these Wall Street darlings. You look at um, you know the the dilution where these executives, everyone's all all of a sudden a quote unquote consultant. Like you know the CEOs girlfriend is a consultant (laughs) and the lady who cleans his mother's house is a consultant and you know and they're kicking back they're what we call rat holes right you put stock in people's names they sell it and kick it back to you and it it happens all the time nobody likes to talk about it or nobody likes to admit that it's true but um yeah as soon as somebody gives you stock and i've been doing this 30 years as soon as somebody gives you free stock make sure you sell it that uh, you won't make that mistake again i could have used because, that advice yeah, a year ago yeah you know and <laughs> and it's not a big deal because it's you know paper's 15 cents a pound they'll just get, they'll just issue you more it's uh, right yeah <laughs> crazy yeah. Uh, uh, adam i was i was talking with uh, brett Ritchie last week on on some like web3 betting you know potentially emerging from all mm-hmm. this peer to peer betting uh, what are your thoughts on this? Do you see that maybe becoming a popular thing in the future? The problem with peer-to-peer embedding is always going to be liquidity. You know, like, why should I go out there and post my numbers uh, for every game when, like, I'm not incentivized to do so at all because I'm not getting that 10% VIG, right? Like, I can just get picked off if I'm not at my computer when um, uh, LeBron James gets ruled out. Well, then everybody's just going to pick off what I have up there in the peer-to-peer exchange and and I'm dead. And I wasn't even getting the 10% anyways. So like, how can you incentivize people to post to make the market? You know, um, it's hard. I, I think the Uniswap model, I don't know if you guys are into, you know, the crypto and Uniswap stuff at all. I'm not deep in it at all, but I think there's like some merit in that model where I think they're just like making the market, but they're charging slippage and they're charging fees. And, you know, they're, they're making their, they're cut for making the market, you know? Um, I think there's some, there's some validity in that, but for the common people, you know, people not looking to bet a lot, you know, people like, why wouldn't they just go on DraftKings and bet? Like what, why is that worse for them than some peer to peer exchange? Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Do, um, do you think any of these books, um, are they subscribing to sites, uh, like yours? Um, yeah, for sure. Oh, we know that there's people, uh, from, multiple different books that are in our discord um, waiting for us to, <laughs> to get props. Yeah. I mean, crazy. obviously it's not expensive to, to subscribe to the site and, and, and these guys can, 
can lose a lot of money if uh, you know they keep props up that that we're about to bet and stuff like that. And so, yeah, they're they're in there, they're in there for sure. Um, you know, we've been tipped off a few times to to guys from from books being in there. And and you know, there's not there's not too much uh, that we can do. Honestly, it's it's kind of up to people to find outs and find accounts. I mean, there's millions and millions of, or I should say, hundreds and hundreds of books all over the world. You know, it's not mm-hmm. your options aren't only you know, DraftKings and FanDuel, you know, and, and we always encourage people to have money on as many bit different books as possible so that, um, you know, if somebody is, is in there from Caesars and they take the market down before we can bet it, that they can go bet it on, on Fox or they can go bet it on Pinnacle or, or, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's tough. I always, I've been jealous of like, of you guys, cause I'm in Florida. It, it was good last year. I had the hard rock mm-hmm. uh, app, but that got shut down. The lines were good on there. Um, I, you know, cause I got money cause I play, po- I got money on Bavada. So I, you know, I just, but the lines aren't always as good. Um, yeah. I'm not sure. Are there, are there any, uh, offshore stuff I'm overlooking from Florida? Yeah, I, uh, the, I, it's hard for me to recommend the offshore stuff just cause like, God, I mean, you know, they can just take your money and you have no recourse whatsoever. Like Bovada uh-huh. could go under tomorrow and you would have no, no recourse whatsoever. I, I do think that Pinnacle and Chris are probably, uh, the two that, are most reputable, but I don't think they post props until like Sunday morning for NFL games. You know, it's just, it's just hard. And so, yeah, yeah. for props, it, it's not great offshore for sure. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's tough. Cause it was great. Like when I had the hard rock, it was, it was easy, um, quick. They posted the lines early and like, you know, I'm sitting, I see when you guys posted in the discord and I'm sitting there waiting and Bavada doesn't have it up until Saturday night or, yeah. you know, maybe sometimes a little bit earlier. It makes it a little bit tougher. Got to be a little more uh, choosy, I guess, with the props I take. I- I think in Florida isn't underdog and prize picks there because I mean, you can definitely, they have those props up. You have to parlay them, but I mean, you can definitely beat those guys uh, on their pick them stuff. Yeah. You know, I, I never looked yet. I mean, I'm on, I play best ball on underdog, but I never looked at, I, I was under the impression. It's not like straight up props. Is it correct? It, it, it's straight up props, but you have to parlay them. They, they only accept parlays. So, so yeah. And the parlay payouts aren't great, but the lines are so soft. You, you can definitely beat it. That's right. You know, I've seen, I've seen you guys have the projections for those on the site, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to take a look at those. Um, you, you've had a uh, Jason Strasser on your podcast. Oh, um, the best. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he's the man, um, uh, former poker player as well. Um, so I assume you have at least a slight interest in trading, uh, and investing. What, what's been the scope scope of trading and investing for you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I'm not very good at it. You know, I, I, uh, I never sell, man. That's, that's the thing. Like I just, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I've had some really good run-ups, including with crypto and I, I just never sell. And, and um, yeah, so I, I wouldn't call myself a trader. I would call myself like a buyer and wait for it to go up. And then I wait for it to go down. You know, I just, and, and um, yeah, that's been the extent of it. I think lately I've just been like, Hey, listen, I'm just going to put some money in, in VOO or, or VTI and just like check back in 10 years, you know? And, and, I think that's the extent of like my investment thesis right now is like being in the market is good. Uh, staying in the market is good. And, and I don't want to be out there like trying to make decisions about individual stocks because I, I just, I, it's just not me, you know, like I, I, I'm a really firm believer in, you know, have all your eggs in one basket and watch it really closely. And, you know, all my eggs are in uh, the business and, and playing DFS and and I don't really think about anything else. And so, um, it'd be unfair to guys like you guys or whatever to, you know, call myself some kind of trader. So yeah, I, I think for me, it's just to buy some index funds and and check back when I can hopefully retire in 10 or 20 years or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's some good advice. That's some good advice, right, Jay? 
Definitely, definitely. You know, and I was reading today that uh, you know what they the Broncos sold for what four point six billion dollars. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, the most expensive. And uh, pretty amazing. You know, the Wall Street Journal said that uh, you know one of the reasons is uh, you know the 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 NFL you know are have these media deals that are worth over a hundred billion. And it's quite interesting. It says the rise of legalized uh, sports betting is also expected to grow the the league's business even further in the coming oh. years. I thought that was very, very fascinating stuff since you were coming on the podcast. Oh, today. man. I, I mean, you guys would be – I don't even know if it's public or not, but, like, the amount that DraftKings and FanDuel pay these leagues to be, like, the official fantasy partner or the official betting partner of their Wild. league is out of control. Yeah. And not to mention that so many people are going to consume the product. I mean, how many people would watch Jaguars versus Titans on Thursday night if, if they weren't – betting on it and so now that uh it's yeah. been legalized like the the, the ratings are going to be through the roof the tv deals are going to keep going up yeah I, I couldn't agree more that you know gambling is going to make these leagues and, and teams worth more it's 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 just fascinating the numbers that are that are being thrown around now just absolutely yeah. amazing i mean the last team sold for what 2.3 billion dollars and this is double yeah you know it's uh wow. pretty amazing yeah wow well i mean i you know from you know from listening to adam's podcast and seeing it i mean it seems like you guys have grown very big as well i'm sure you guys are seeing it just the popularity um of all this yeah i mean um you know we came into the business with a with a pretty big audience already uh we've been growing pretty well but yeah you know it's it's people want betting content is the bottom line and like we, we if we went out there and said we're going to uh, sell a bunch of picks like Broncos minus three and stuff. And we'd make, you know, an unfathomable amount of money, but we yeah. can't do it because we can't beat those markets, you know? And so, you know, it'd be really disingenuous for us to, to do exactly what the people want. If we really wanted to grow though, we would just go out there and, and, you know, go full Vegas Dave and say, Hey, bet Broncos minus three today. And, and hopefully it works out and, and, and you know, but like, that's, that's not what we're going to do because we're, I know we're not beating that market. And, and, you know, the overall majority of people who say they are, 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 aren't either, but that's what people want. I mean, people want to want the winning picks on just sides. Cause it's so easy to just, to just fire that up and bet it. It's not a lot of work like, like fantasy is. Yeah. 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 But you know, you guys, you guys are doing it the, you know, the right way you're doing it with it, with integrity, you know, it, you know, I know Jason, I've seen Jason Strasser on Twitter with some of these guys. It's like the same thing in the trading industry. You got these people are like, Oh, Hey, just follow me. This, these picks right here, you're going to be rich. It's, it's Fugazi. It's not real. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I, I asked him personally, like on the side, you know, like not on, not on the podcast. I was like, Hey man, like I have X amount of money. Like what, what, what should I buy? And he's like, honestly, man, like I, I can't even like, I don't yeah. even want to say because like, you know, it's not, it, you know, picking winners in stocks is, is just as hard, if not harder. And so he was like, you know, just buy some index funds and, and forget about it. Yeah. 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 There you go. Um, Adam, I know you, I know you own some Zed run horses or at least, oh, yeah. or, or at least one, um, I got a bunch. I got a bunch myself. Um, I, you, you guys are the three donkey stable. I'm pretty sure I ran against one of the horses a few times. Um, but uh, do, do you guys, do you own any other NFTs? I know you got some funny. You got some funny NFT takes. Yeah, no, I never got into NFTs. I, I, um, I, I thought punks were really cool, and and I've had a couple punks, crypto punks, and yes. I still have one actually that's you know currently buried. But but anyways, um, yeah, I, I you know. The PFP projects, in other words, like I'm going to put out 10,000 cartoons of a toad and people are going to use it as their avatar and it's worth 100K. Like I always thought that was like the stupidest shit in the, in the entire world. I could not believe what was going on there. I do think that like use case stuff for 
blockchain technology like Zed does is, is like the dream. I mean, the technology is so powerful and, and yeah, having a Zed horse is like owning an actual racehorse. Like it's, it's actually awesome. And you don't necessarily feel like you're on the blockchain all the time, which is yeah. I think important for mass adoption. And so, yeah, that's the only real NFTs that I've had is, is the horses and the, and the punks. And, oh, I, I took a piece of some, uh, Bale's top shots too, which are also just completely buried. So, so yeah, it, it hasn't, hasn't been going great. <laughs> Dust, I know uh, the fuck. I know. I wish I would have sold mine too. I, I actually, I actually sold all my top shots and I, I moved into the NFL ones. The, uh, you know, all day. For, yeah. For the one time we'll see. I don't, I, I just bought up all the rookies. I, I brought a bunch of Jamar chase. Mm-hmm. Um, what's I go? I went Elijah Moore, you know, all the T, uh, what was his name? Tight end, uh, pits. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see from there. Um, all right, Adam, I got some. We're going to wrap it up here. I got, I got some like miscellaneous, uh, like rapid fire type of questions sure. um, for you right here. Um, just for, you know, for the audience, for listeners, do you have any tips and suggestions on handling downswings? Mm. Yeah, it's tough, man. I, you know, um, I think knowing when you're a favorite in a game still is a hard thing to know, you know, like, I was playing a lot of 10-10 at parks in Philly, and I had a certain win rate for a long time. And um, if you're tracking your win rate, you know, game conditions change, you know, like certain people leave the game, uh, certain people get better. Uh, maybe I wasn't getting better. And like being honest with yourself and understanding that, that's different than getting unlucky for a while and losing, you know? And so like, if you can step back and evaluate why, you're in a downswing. Is it actually just random luck? Are you still playing well or have game conditions changed? It's really hard to do, but I, I think that's really important. If you think that game conditions have changed, then um, yeah, it's time to stop it and find a new game. If you're no longer a big favorite or a favorite at all. Uh, if you think you've just been getting unlucky and, and you can actually identify mistakes that your opponents are still making, uh, then I would continue to play in the game. So yeah, I would take time. I would sit out and take time to kind of evaluate that um, if you can. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's applicable to the markets too. Like, you know, it, it could be a mind fuck. It's like, oh man, is this, is this strategy that I'm implementing not working anymore? Is it just variance, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it was always struck, struck me uh, about you, Adam, is like you, you take ownership of your results, like almost like ruthlessly, um, which is good though. I think it's, it's helped me as well. It's like, cause it's so easy when we were in like gambling activities, it's so easy to blame it on variance. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's most people, oh, variance, variance. Yeah. Um, but like really looking at yourself and like, what could I do better here? Um, I, I think like, that's, that's something you've always done very well. Yeah. I mean, people are just always looking for an excuse for why they lost, you know, it, it was this, it was that it, it was this, you know, it's just, it, it's just much easier to just say, Hey, I didn't play well today. And it, you know, it's on me. I'm going to play better next time. You know, that's it period. And, and so, um, yeah, I, you know, the excuse making and the whining, I, I just, I, I can't take it, um, at all. So yeah, I think it's just a better attitude to have to just be like, hey, you know, it's on me. It's nobody else's fault. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, when you're out in the real life, Adam, um, maybe you're at a function or something and people ask you what you do for a living. Like, how do those conversations go? <laughs> oh, man. You know, it depends on the person. You know, I, I try to get a read on the person, you know, if I think that they're, uh, you know, familiar with DFS at all or, or familiar with um uh, any peer-to-peer type gambling, I- I'll tell them that, uh, you know, I-, I start businesses around DFS and I-, and I play DFS. If it's someone who I probably frowns upon gambling, I say that, you know, I'm in 
predictive analytics or something like that. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a varying answer. I, I never really have a good answer. It's so funny. Anytime anyone asks me, I like pause, you know, I, I like think for yeah. like 10 <laughs> seconds about what I'm going to say. And like, they're always thrown off by that. Cause mostly when you ask them what they do, they're just like a real easy answer. Like, Oh, you know, I, I work for AT&T or something, you know, I, I don't know. And like, I always pause and like try to think about what uh, is reasonable because I don't want to like completely blow someone's mind uh, too hard. Yeah. I, I always, I usually uh, love when you bring that up on, uh, on, on the pods or like the solo pod. Cause like I a hundred percent relate. Cause whether it was like when I was just playing poker, that was just weird conversation. I always just dreaded being in social situations and people asking me, Oh, what yeah. do you do? And then yeah. once trading, once that whole AMC GameStop and crypto stuff was happening, everyone was like, oh, yeah, we're traders. And like, yeah. it made me look like a schmuck to everybody. It was like, oh, yeah, you're a trade. Oh, yeah, okay. It made me look like a fucking yeah. schmuck. I'm like, like yeah. <laughs> well, you know, hey, in my day, you know, I had a buddy of mine who was a, a professional poker player in the 80s. And, you know, when I would go pick him up at games at three o'clock in the morning in the back of Chinese restaurants, you know, everybody looked like they were packing heat. You know, it's like, it's, uh, <laughs> You know, I was like walking in there going, oh, who are these characters, right? That's uh, completely different now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know? It's definitely more accepted accepted now than it was, but I still think there's definitely some like pretty major stigma attached. So, so yeah. 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 <laughs> no, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, Adam, what, what's been out of, out of all the bits? He, he, he has a lot of funny bits, JJ. Um, what, what's, what's been the most popular one from, from, from the fans that you think went over the, uh, the most well? Oh God. Uh, uh, every day someone asks me or, or makes a joke about the penis size model, the PSM. And that, that was for those guys that don't know, it was, it was just a joke about like, if I'm comparing two players, like who, whichever one I think has a bigger penis is the one that that's going to, that's going to play better. <laughs> um, and so I would do jokes about, about, we have a model that, that figures out exactly uh, how big guys penis is. And then we compare those uh, to each other. And that's how we decide who to play. I mean, not a day goes by where someone doesn't mention that to me on Twitter or, or, or whatever. So yeah, people, people really do love that one. They love, they, they love the penis. I guess the penis jokes just never get old, huh? Exactly. Like, exactly. Uh, I like, I like the gen- gender labs and anytime gender labs comes up, I love that. Yeah. That was a really popular one too. And, and people, people love that. Yeah. For those guys that don't know what that one is, that was um, basically like uh, we had a company called fantasy labs and then I started doing jokes about a company called Gender Labs. And the idea was instead of people helping with fantasy, we would help them optimize their sexual positions and stuff like that for what gender of baby they want to have. So we would recommend <laughs> certain positions for boys and other positions uh, for girls. And, and people really liked that one, too. I mean, a lot of people thought I was serious with that because there is like if you Google, there is some like data out there. It's called the Shuttles method. Uh, there is actual like actual research and data on this. I don't know how predictive it is, but I was just doing it as a joke. But but people <laughs> love that. People love that one, too. Oh, that's, that's great. Uh, you know, you, you don't bring up Jerry too much a- anymore. Is that, is that just like, cause it was, it's been done with it's. Yeah. I, lo- I love uh, like the duck treats. Like when you had a good session, he would be like, Oh, I guess you could say it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, um, it, it's, it, people love the Jerry bits too. You know, I used to, I mean, I was just absolutely in love with this dog and, and I still am, but um, you know, She's not in the office anymore, so people don't see her um, as they used to in the background of the shows and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, no, she's she's here and she's doing good. I just, uh, yeah, I guess that that bit isn't uh, as popular as as some of the other ones. I guess maybe I could bring back some Jerry bits though. We'll see. Yeah, I always loved it with the duck treats. I, I swear to God, I, I started getting duck treats for my dog after you mentioned it. I was like, oh, that's that's interesting. Maybe I should try and get some. They they, they love the duck treats. 
Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, last one here, Adam. Unless you get uh, on your way, um, JJ. He's he's been part of some like very, uh, in my opinion, some legendary prop bets. Um, peer to peer prop bets. Uh, Adam, what what's been what's been your your favorite one that you participated in? Oh god! Well, the one I won the most money on was Bales doing the twenty four hundred push ups in twelve hours. That that one, no one thought he could do it, and I knew that he could do it, and so that was the one I won the most money on. That one part wasn't uh, the most fun though. Uh, the most fun that I watched was probably six twelve eighteen twenty four, where uh, you know Bales had to do four tasks in twenty four hours: uh, masturbation, running miles, uh, eating donuts, and drinking beers. Uh, that one was was the most fun to watch. That's the most insane. fun one that I participated in was when I, I played uh, Steve Bass, who's former professional tennis player, like on the tour, professional tennis player. He, he used a frying pan that he bought at, at Bed Bath & Beyond like a half hour before the match. And now I used my tennis racket and, and that was a battle. Uh, that was probably the most fun one that I, I uh, actually participated in. But yeah, I love that stuff, man. I mean, that's probably my favorite stuff to do. And, and hopefully we'll get a lot more of that stuff going. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. That's a lot of fun. I that that I'm glad you brought up that Bales one. I, I remember when it happened. I forget how many years ago it was, but like hearing like Bales like rationale to like what number he's gonna select to it. It's just so funny that that, that side of the brain never stops, does it? Huh? Like where's the uh, uh, optimizing it? It's just exactly. it was funny, and then just the uh, the 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 tasks attached to it. Who 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 came up with that idea? By the way, I think we actually. I think the Barstool guys actually like it was probably something that. We heard about it because one of the Barstool guys like did it or, or tried to do it or something like that. But I, I don't know where it actually started. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. Well, guys, that's going to conclude today's episode of Confessions of a Market Maker. If you guys like this episode, can you please rate and review it for us? If you'd like to join the supportive community of traders, you can go join JJ and myself at microefutures.com. Uh, Adam, uh, let the listeners know where they can find you um, and anything else. Yeah, I mean, if you want to play fantasy football and play well, like you have to be on Twitter. And obviously, Twitter is free. But like, if you're not on Twitter, that's where all the best information is. And so you can just follow me with my full name, at uh, Adam Levitan. And, and if you do that, um, you'll get pointed in the right direction to, to I think, you know, actually winning at, at fantasy football. Um, and, and the podcast, too. I mean, the podcast is free also. And, and so anybody can just Listen to the podcast just called Establish the Run is is the name of the podcast. And if you find that, I think um, that's free and that'll start you down the rabbit hole also. Yeah, it absolutely will. And I definitely vouch for even 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 a, just a casual player. Listen to it. If you're a trader, uh, the type of concepts he talks to, I think, is 100 percent applicable uh, to trading as well. Uh, JJ, parting thoughts. Oh, great. I, I'm I'm learning about all this stuff. You know, Ray, Ray keeps uh, bringing on these uh poker guys and, and gambling guys. And I, I never, ever had any interest in that stuff. And now, you know, I think it, he's a bit of a bad influence. Now I'm starting to like look <laughs> into these things. So no, thank you very much for coming in and sharing your knowledge with us. And uh, I look forward to learning more about this. Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks so much, Adam. So he's Adam Levitan. I'm Paulie Walnuts. He's the gorilla house street. Make sure you guys using stops. <laughs>